The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's a good morning at Downtown Church. I'm loving hearing um, and getting updates about our our missionaries in the heart of this city. Um, And uh, I will just point out, you heard the report on the collective. Uh, Sarah's here. Why don't you stand up? I think you're going to be in the back. But she started the collective about a year ago, and you heard they had 50 in this first class. They're going to have 200 in the second, and they they're, they want to put an ally uh, or mentor uh, person, someone just to walk with each of those 200. And so they need a lot of volunteers. Uh, they have a training this afternoon uh, from 2 to 5 at Crosstown. You can talk to her about that. And um, I plan to be there there and really look forward uh, to working with the collective this year and, and encourage you to be a part of that as well. It's, it's, it's a matter of just attending one dinner uh, a month and hanging out with um, uh, the person that you're walking with as well as meet with them, I think, one other time during the month and just being an encouragement. So I uh, hope you can be part of that. Uh, we did not do announcements, and I'm not going to do announcements. I do want to just highlight a couple, though. Uh, we are starting a series of Bible studies geared toward the business community in downtown. And there are a couple of announcements about that. Um, Ashley Gray and Danielle Shelley are starting a study for um, business women in the community, one over lunch hour, and then uh, mirrored that night for those that actually live downtown. And I hope that you can be a part of that. We're also starting um, a once a month study um, that will focus in on faith and work and the relationship between one's faith and work. And if you, especially if you live or and or work downtown, we really need your help in spreading the word and attending and, and being part of that. So reach out to us um, and, and let us know if you're willing to help out. Um, also, the Urban Summit is coming, and uh, I was told to announce it. I have no information before me. Uh, so, Michael Rhodes, why don't you? There you go. Talk. 
Amen. February 22nd, 23rd at Mississippi Boulevard. Talk to Michael Rhodes if you want more or just Google Urban Summit Memphis. And Downtown Church has free tickets to give away. Yes, we do. I forgot about that. Free tickets to give away. So there you go. Um, as we go to our passage this morning, I do want to um, just... Uh, mention a couple of things, and that is Betty Miller lost a grandchild um, this past week, and I want to pray for Betty. Um, And then Mike Shaw um, made the trip up to, well, in Wisconsin, outside of Green Bay on an Indian reservation uh, to meet with his um, grandmother. And I I ran into Michael, by God's good providence, this week, and he told me that he was really struggling to get there, Um, hadn't seen her in eight years, and really hoping he could get there before she passed. And he did. She passed this morning. Um, And so let's, let's pray for Mike and Gretchen, too, who led us in that incredible song this morning. I know that had to be hard for you, Gretchen. So uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we look at his word. God, uh, we thank you that you are our father and you love your children. Uh, your heart um, literally bled for your children and bleeds for your children. And we praise you for that, Father. And we know that Betty and her family is close to your heart. And we just pray that she would know your comfort. She would know your presence. She would know your strength. Uh, Lord, we don't understand the death of uh, children, especially, and Lord, it makes us long for the day when you will wipe every tear from our eye, and there will be no more death of children, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain. Uh, But God, just comfort her, and comfort her through this church family as they walk through this loss. And I pray the same for uh, Mike and his family, Lord, I pray especially for his mom, that you would be with her this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you that Michael was there. Um, that he could be present. Uh, Lord, just heal that family and and encourage them and be with them. And Gretchen as well, as I know uh, she would love to be with them this morning. I just pray that you would comfort her. Uh, Lord, thank you for her faithfulness um, just to serve you in the way that she does. Um, Lord, bless their family. And God, this morning we beg you to come and teach us. Uh, Lord, you know how... um, just ill-equipped I feel to to preach your word and how dependent I am upon your spirit. If your spirit doesn't move, what we do here is just really in vain. It really is a waste of our time. And so would you come by your spirit and would you not allow your word to go forth in vain? But I pray that it would pierce our hearts, that it would transform our minds, that it would do things that only you can do. Help us to think new thoughts, to see life differently, address our fears, O God, and open our hearts to the vast, immeasurable love of God. Oh God, show us your heart this morning and do something transformational in us. Oh God, would you empower us to be the kind of people, the kind of community that you would have us be, that you redeemed us to be, that you are redeeming us to be. Oh God, we beg you to work and to work mightily. We give this time to you and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. David Brooks um, wrote an article recently for, actually this week, that was published in the New York Times. It was called, uh, The Cruelty of the Call-Out Culture. And some of you know what that means and some of you don't, but it's basically calling people out on social media, shaming them on social media. And he highlighted the story of a young girl who sang in a punk 
uh, rock band uh, with one of her best friends who uh, also was in that band, and yet her friend um, sent an inappropriate pr picture to someone that was booking them to play this, this concert, and the person canceled the concert, and so this young girl uh, shamed him on social media. She uh, exposed what he did, and, and uh, it went viral. It worked. He was kicked out of the band. He even lost his day job as the community found out about it, and uh, he had to leave town to actually move out of the town uh, because his reputation was completely shot. But ironically, a few months later, the same thing happened to this girl. Um, ten years prior, while she was in high school, um, one of her classmates posted a nude photo of another classmate, and she put a smiley face under the caption of the picture showing her support for the, what we now call cyberbullying. And she too was exposed, and she too was kicked out of the band, and she had to go into hiding what she says felt like months. And David Brooks takes those stories and he writes this. He said, she accepted the legitimacy of the call-out process. If she was called out, it must mean that she deserved to be rendered into a non-person. I don't know what to think of myself other than like, I'm so sorry and I feel like a monster. The guy who called Emily out is named Herbert. He told a news publication that calling her out gave him a rush of pleasure. He was asked if he cared about the pain Emily endured, and he said, no, I don't care. I don't care because it's obviously something she deserved, and it's something that's been coming to her. I literally don't care about what happens to you after the situation. I don't care if she's dead, alive, or whatever. And then David Brooks writes, you see how once you adopt a binary tribal mentality, us, them, victim, abuser, you've immediately de depersonalized everything. You've reduced complex human beings to simple good versus evil. And friends, he's dead on. This is the culture that we're in, and it's why we're fractured. We can't even have a conversation without being shamed, without being ostracized. We can't work together on anything because the way that we operate is to shame each other, it's to ostracize each other, it's to make our point and to do community and life with those that agree with us and to condemn and ostracize and look down our noses on those that don't. And this is happening in the church. <laughs> we see it in the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer addresses this. He said, "If we are on the lookout for if we are on the lookout for evil in others, our real motive is obviously to justify ourselves. For we are seeking to escape punishment for our own sins by passing judgment on others." and are assuming by implication that the Word of God applies to ourselves in one way and to others in another. It's so true, friends. This goes to the very heart of who we are as human beings, and it tells us that what we believe about ourselves determines our community. 
If we think that we are self-justified in who we are and we create this world in which we are looking down and judging on those people over there, then we are revealing that we are not trusting the justification that God has presented to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you see that a lack of diversity of community equates to an unbelief in the power of the gospel? Let me flesh this out a little more. If you look at our passage this morning, it is one of the most uh, complete or, or uh, well-rounded passages, straightforward passages in terms of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is one of the most often quoted, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It is by grace we have been saved. Through faith, this is how we're saved. And yet... Why is Paul telling us this? Is there a context, or did Paul just wake up and say, oh, I just want the people of God to know so they can get in their prayer closet and feel good about how God loves them? No, there is a context. And if we, we see that context in chapter 1, uh, in verses 9 through 10, he, he speaks of, Paul speaks of the mystery of God's will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. I love what Paul's doing there. Like three different ways he's saying, this is everything God's about. This is the whole purpose of the whole the history of the universe is summed up in this to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus came not just to be a personal Savior so it can be me and Jesus and I can go live my life knowing that God loves me no matter what I do, but God has redeemed me, reconciled me to Himself that I might be reconciled to my neighbor. That's the whole thrust of it. And he tells us, he goes to chapter 2, we look at verses 1 through 10, which is a, the, the subject matter of our preaching this morning, but immediately in verse 11, he goes back to show the application and the context. For he said, he talks about the hostility between Jew and Gentile. You Jews who are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. That's what he's saying in verse 11. And then he gets down to show the application of the gospel of Jesus in verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. You want to know how to have peace in the world? Jesus. He is our peace. Who has made us both. Who's he talking about? Jew and Gentile. One and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What hostility is he talking about? Well, okay. Maybe the hostility of 400 years in slavery to be released only to be exiled, taken captive by another world leader and used and abused, and centuries more of the Jews being looked down upon, oppressed, marginalized, and viewed as subhuman by the Gentiles. And then you have the Gentiles who probably, you know, much of the time through history, children growing up, seeing their parents, oppressing the Jews, and just assuming that they deserve it. 
just assuming, well, I, get, I mean, my parents and my, our whole community is in agreement that the Jews are subhuman, and if we see them by the road and a woman is having a baby, we can't even touch them. I mean, we can't even associate with them. And Do you see it? There was immense hostility between Jew and Gentile. And what Paul does is he comes to the Jew who's been oppressed, who has genuinely like tangibly been oppressed through prejudice, racial profiling. The horrors of hell have been unleashed on them. He comes to them and he comes to those that are responsible for what they've been through. Those who are privileged in culture, who may themselves not be actively persecuting or actively racially profiling, or at least knowingly, but they are having the privilege of not being Jews. And therefore, they don't have the weight and the burden of the, the oppression and the marginalization and the ostracization in, in society. Does that sound remotely familiar? to anything that maybe we in Memphis, Tennessee, I mean, could there be anything more relevant? And that's why we're looking at that this morning. The, the fourth essential of our doctrine of, as a denomination is the grace of Jesus Christ, that we are born in sin, that we are sinful, and it is only by grace that we are saved, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is actually granted to us faith in, in that by God our Father. Why? Why is this a cornerstone? Because it is that which creates Christian community. It's that which creates a radical new community of us radically loving God and radically loving each other. How can downtown church be that kind of community? Why should it be? Because it's the whole thrust of the gospel. It's what God is doing in the world. I love how Rachel Haggard said it this morning. I don't know if I've ever heard it. Maybe I have, and maybe other people have heard it, but it just struck me as unique. She, she talked about the resistance simply by being a community of love. We are resisting the world. We're resisting evil simply by being a community of love. It's what I've been proposing this whole time in, in the life of this church. That is, if we can be the body of Christ, if we can love our neighbor, not just out there, but right here, we will be the apologetic for the gospel. Because we have seen how not loving each other has been a pretty strong argument against the gospel. If the church can't get it together, why in the world would the why would the world want to listen to us about Jesus? That is why this is so important. And so let's look at it. How can we be the body of Christ? How can we sacrificially love one another? And not just come in here, me and Jesus, oh, that was encouraging. I'm going to live my life completely unchanged. How can we come in here and become more burdened because of the love of God for my neighbor? Number one, you've got to understand that your sin is more complex than what you think. The very first thing he does, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. And he goes on to talk more. Yesterday, I saw how complex my sin is as I'm even thinking through this sermon. Ashley and Nate 
our middle daughter and her husband moved to a new house, and uh, we kept a couple of grandchildren Friday night, and Rachel left early with those two grandchildren um, so that I could get to the house on time to start helping move at 8.30. Well, I had a question. I had to run an errand, and I called Rachel, and it was about, I don't know, 8.25, 8.26 or 7, and she said, are you, are you going to be late? And my immediate response was, honey, I'm so sorry. I know you left early with the grandchildren so that I could be on time. And, you know, I'm so sorry that I'm so self-centered and consumed with me. No. <laughs> my first response was, no, I'm not going to be late. I mean, I've got, I mean, I'm thinking in my head of all these excuses. And finally, yeah, I blew it. My immediate response was to prove myself innocent in something that literally was not a huge deal. If that is my first response here, how in the world can I think that, that there are not complex webs of sinfulness existing in Richard Reeves that need to be taken apart and untied bit by bit by God through His Spirit, through His Word and community? If that's my first response to my bride, how in the world can I think that I don't need the work of God more than anybody I'm going to meet today? Do you see that? We justify sin. I, I, I'm, I don't even know what the word is. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm... Um, I can't believe how many new stories are coming to light about our history right here in Memphis in this community. I read another one this week. Um, it's a story about um, a massacre of 200 African Americans in Elaine, Arkansas, about an hour and a half away from here. I don't even know what that is, and I'm kind of from Arkansas, so small, small town in the Delta. In 1919, um, black farmers, African-American farmers, um, were found out that they could sell their cotton to Boston directly and go around the market, the Helena market that um, was, you know, uh, paying pathetic prices for their cotton. And so when the whites of that community found out that the African-American farmers were going straight to Boston with their cotton and making what they should be making there, a mob of white people attacked them and killed over 200 men, women, and children. Now, it's a tiny little town. I don't know what proportion that was of the whole town, but over 200, not one white person held accountable. No one went to jail. And as I read that, I thought, how? And the only way, the only way that that, that community justified that was by standing over here and calling out a whole group of people and seeing themselves self-justifying them as better to the point that their lives don't even matter. They're worth nothing. Friends, that is the face of our sin. 
Because you know what Paul does? In Romans, it's the same thing. Most, so much of the Bible, it, it, especially even Romans, is talking about the relationship with Jew and Gentile. And what does he do immediately? He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Who's he talking to? Both Jew and Gentile. And it is the rage of the gospel because the one who's been oppressed, the one who's been the victim of that kind of... Paul comes to them and says, all have sinned. What do I do with my hate? What do I do with my anger? What do I do? All have sinned. And for the white person who, who admitted, well, that wasn't me. Those are, I, don't, I mean, I'm not... All have sinned. Our hands, we're, but we're all in this. And Paul says, you have sinned, you have sinned, you have sinned. No one has the right to stand up and say, I'm innocent. And then in this passage, you were dead. You, listen to these personal, listen to these pronouns. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, Paul includes himself, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The power for division, dear friends, is pride. And it doesn't matter how justified we feel in our pride. The only way that we can be the people of God is if we all say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once formerly lived. This is what, Paul, what Jesus tells us is the strategic power in our relationships. Listen to Matthew 7, 5. How do we deal with each other in relationship? Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's the power of the gospel to bring humility from our hearts where there could be and should be in a court of law. There could be and should be in, 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 on the streets something radically different. And yet in the church... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Take the log out of your own eye before you deal with the speck that's in your brother's eye. Sin, dear friends, is deceptive. Notice, we'll walk a little bit through this. He's ta he, he talks about trespasses and sins. Trespasses. Think about that for a minute. When do you see a trespass? Where do we use the word trespass? A property owner has the right to put a sign up that says no trespassing. Think about that. So our sins are called trespasses? Well, who's the owner? You see, dear friends, here's what we do. We, we categorize sin as something that we do, but what Paul is doing is saying, no, it is something that we do against God. They are trespasses because we don't have the right to live as our own God. We don't have to write to tell God what we deserve. They are trespasses because we don't have the right to step over the lines that He has created as our Creator, and especially for us as Christians, as our Redeemer. We don't have the right to trespass, and yet every sin is a trespass against Him. It is a relational sin against God because He made us for Himself. He made us for His glory. And therefore, we don't have the right to sin. And that's why it's called a trespass. 
And yet, why do we do it? There's two reasons. There's external reasons. There are internal reasons. Look at these external reasons. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we, there, there are outward temptations. Uh, there is evil that is personalized by the one that Paul calls the prince of the power of the air. And you say, oh, Richard, are you going to be so ancient? And you, you don't really believe in the spirit world, do you? Have you seen the face of evil? Just go spend a little time with Rachel Hag on the streets of Memphis and tell me that there is not the devil. Go look in the face of men that are taking women and using them as property in this day and age. Talk to me about men that are paying money to have sex with children. And you tell me there is not evil in this world and there's not a face to it. Advancement in technology, advancement in our cultures, and this is where we still are. Yes, why? Because there's a prince of the power of the air, and he's at work. And he's especially at work if you think he doesn't exist. He has you. Do you see that? No, I don't believe that there's a demon behind every rock and we have to live in fear because I also believe that there's a spirit powerful and His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and I don't have to live in fear. Do you see that? That is what Paul is saying though, is that we are following the course of this world. Our views in so many areas are changing not because we are progressing, but because we are following the prince of the power of the air. That's what Paul is saying. It was true then, it's true now. The world is set against God. And the way that it's set against God, the way that it's progressing away from God is by convincing us that we don't even need God and that really He's outdated and passe. This gets at the heart of our internal sin, too. He, he talks about the internal pull. We are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, we are driven by our desires. We are driven by our passions. We're driven uh, by our wants and our needs. That is the most base way of doing morality known to man. And yet that is what's happening in the morality of our world. It's do what you were, what, what you are naturally inclined to do. And if we are all naturally inclined to do it, then it must be okay. Following the passions because we're nat by nature the children of wrath. Even as Christians, this is the battle that we have. Paul refers to it in Romans 7. I do not want, I do not do what I want, says Paul, as a Christian. But I do the very thing I hate. That's the Christian life. Now, if I do not want to, uh, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good, that there really is good out there. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, that flesh, that nature. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Dear friends, do you feel that? If you feel that, 
then that means the Spirit of God is alive in you. You better feel that. Because if you don't feel that, the Spirit of God is not alive in you. You see, it is a battle to be a Christian because we are not, we have not realized the new man. We've got a long way to go to glory, maybe. <laughs> and so we struggle and we fight. Dear friend, do you understand the depth of your sin? If you do, you cannot see yourself as better than your neighbor. And the minute that you do, the gospel's power is decreased and it vanishes. You cannot love your neighbor until you understand the depth of your own heart and the depth of your own sin and the depth of the capacity of your own heart. And then secondly, we can't stop there. God's grace to us is much more complex than we know. Dear friends, God's grace is the single most powerful thing in the universe. Do you understand that if we are enemies of God, the God of glory, do you understand what we deserve? Some people say, and that's following our desires today, oh, you obviously don't believe in, I mean, surely, Richard Reeves, come on, you're educated, you don't believe in hell. Uh, look, we all believe in hell. I mean, well, no, I just believe in love. Oh, really? So if you believe in love and you're in love with somebody, you're cool with them cheating on you. Oh, oh, you're cool with them draining your bank account while you're at work. You're cool with them taking your car. You're cool with them wearing, you're cool with them taking your boyfriend. You're cool with, no, you're not. And the minute they do, you want what? Judgment. Oh, you're not going to, move out of here. Take your stuff and move out of here. No, you're gone. Why? Because we, were, we know what's right and wrong. And because we ha all have a sense of justice and a sense of punishment and a sense of what we deserve or what other people deserve when they transgress us. Now, we don't care what they do to God, but we do care what they do to us. Dear friends, why? Because we're made in the image of God. We're constructed in the image of a God who is just. And that's why nobody can just say, oh, I just believe in love. Garbage. That is intellectually ridiculous. And why do we believe it? Because we're following the prince of the power of air. It doesn't even make... Anyway. But here's the reality. That's what I deserve. Richard Reeves deserves hell. Verse 4. Best two words ever. But God. But God... But God, but God's not like you, Richard. But God's not like you. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Come on, Paul, tell it. How many times can you get love in a sentence? I mean, <laughs> the great love by which He loves you. Do you see it? God responds to our, our sin and our, it, not with His judgment, but with His love. And yet His love is not some wishy-washy thing. His love says, I still got to deal with my justice, so how am I going to do it? I've got to send my son Jesus. It's the only way. He's the only one that can pay it. And so I'm going to put on Him what you deserve, Richard Reeves, and I'm going to pour out my wrath, the wrath of hell itself, the most just reality in all of the universe. I'm going to pour it out on my son so that I can love you, Richard Reeves. Do you, there's not, a, I can't, this is kind of like, 
one of the, the African Americans in, in you know, Elaine, Arkansas in 1919 looking at the one whose hands are dripping with the blood having just killed their child and that person saying to the authorities, take me. But that even pales in comparison. There is no, there is no illustration. Why? Because Jesus, God the Father looks down and says, here's my son, he's condemned, and so now you go live your life. No, I'm doing that because I want to be married to him. I want to be married to Richard Reeves, the very one who's killing my son, I want to be married to. I'm going to cleanse him. I'm going to put him in a white robe. I'm going to present him to myself at the end of time through the life, death, and resurrection of my own son, Jesus, my own flesh and blood. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. See, He made us alive. We are now alive. That's what He says. He made us alive in Christ. He raised us up together with Christ. We are united with Christ. Now what am I alive to do? I'm now alive to fight sin. I'm now alive to follow Jesus. I'm now alive to say no to my sin and to turn and live a different way. And I'm able to fight not for love. See, religion says this, here's the law, now fight for it and maybe God will love you at the end. But the gospel says this, here's the law, you're never going to do it, so I'm sending my son to do it for you. He lived under the law, fulfilled the law's requirements, then went to the cross, became your sin, died for your sin, and now through faith, immediately in that moment, you are given the perfect record of righteousness of Jesus, all of His obedience, all of the credit for His obedience is credited to you, so that now God the Father can love you no less and no more than His own Son, Jesus Christ. Is that not glorious? He made us alive together with Him. Alive so much so that we have been saved. It doesn't feel like it, does it? I don't feel saved most days. I see myself battling with sin. I see myself fighting with my own identity as a man, as a servant of Christ, as a husband, as a father. I'm always condemning. I don't feel saved. But notice what Paul says. You have been saved. Past tense. Not only that, he's been raised up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. I don't feel that. But we have been seated. It's, it's as sure as this. He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Dear friends, that is incredible. What He is saying is this, that to the extent Richard Reeves experiences the love of Christ, it is like one little drop because something's coming. He's going to get, he's going to understand the immeasurable love of Christ one day, someday for eternity. Wow. Incredible. Me, Richard Reeves, you, put your name in there if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That is powerful. And when you understand your sin, what you deserve, and you understand yet but God and what He's done for you, dear friends, there is a power to live a different life. There is a power to go forward Enjoy like none other. There's a power to love each other. There's a power to get us over us. There's a power to lift your neighbor above your, your cultural commitments. 
There, there's a power to steer your money in a different way, to steer your sex life in a different way, to steer your relationships in a different way, to steer your education in a different way, to steer everything that you are in a different way. Why? Because you are responding to what God has already done. That's what He says. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me show you how this works. Michael Davis, Terrence Gray, and I stopped at um, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama. I heard Terrence's sermon. He alluded to it. Uh, we did this a couple weeks ago. What this is, this is uh, the memorial. We're, we're wrapping it up right here. I know we're running over, but this is it. Um, and this is so good. you got to hang with me. Hang with me. Um, so you go through the memorial, and there are 800 kind of coffin-sized, metal-rusted uh, little memorials. And there are 800 of them because there are 800 counties that are listed. And for like Shelby County, there are 21 names of men and women known to have been lynched in our county. Now imagine 800, and you're walking through and you're reading the names and you're, ah, ah. And by the end of it, what do you do? Oh, man, that was fun. Let's go have dinner. No, by the end of it, you sit down on this bench and there's this massive wall and there's water pouring down and you just sit there. And all I can think is, what do I need to do? How do I need to respond? What, how's my life going to look forward after I just looked at what... Why? Because if I don't, then these people died for nothing. It's the same. It's the same reason the flag means so much to so many. People died for it, and when people die for something, we feel an obligation. When people have sacrificed for us, we feel an obligation toward what faithfulness to the cause. Ah, oh, who died for us? Do you see it? Yes. Do you see it? Because Jesus died, you can't just sit here and go, hmm, that's good. And if you do, you're not hearing it. If you do, you don't understand it. Because this is the power. Remember I said it, it is the most powerful thing in the universe. It is how do we, religion says live for God, sacrifice for God, and maybe He'll love you. Christianity says Christ sacrificed for you and He does love you. And you know what you deserve. But when you understand it, you want to go spend your nights trying to get women who were caught in the grips of the devil selling their bodies because they don't view themselves any better than the trash that their pimps are telling them they are. You want to go into the city and you want to find a teenager, you want to find one of the 30,000, 18 to 30 year olds who are out of work in the city, you want to go find somebody and you want to say, man, how can I help you? What can I do? Dear friends, we've got children that come to this church every week that can't read. Are you kidding me? Do we, love, do we know the love of Jesus? We've got people coming here hungry. We've got neighbors. Do we know the love of Jesus? Has it sunk deep? I, I laugh when I hear people say, oh, I understand the gospel. Now give me, just tell me what, give me Christianity 2.0. Oh, don't even. You get Christianity 1.0. 
And that is you're a sinner and you don't even know that you haven't even scratched the surface. Start scratching. Because when you do, you're going to see God's love and all its power and all its might. And it's going to be personal to you. You're going to become the you in Paul's passage. And you're going to want to give your life away. And this city's not going to be the same. Lord Jesus, would you make it so for Richard Reeves? Would you make it so for each person in this room? Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope that we have. I pray that you would create a propulsion of grace, of lives on mission, of lives that are not about us but about others. God, would you pour out your spirit and make it so. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by bringing tithes and offerings to Him and just reflecting on what God would have us do, who we need to forgive, how we live, need to live differently, who we may even need to run to in this room and say, I am sorry. Dear friends, may we love each other, for that's the focus and the power of the gospel. Amen.